we've been looking at this theme of thriving and we've been sort of picking a whole heap of different subjects. How do we thrive in our Christian walk? How do we really um, be our best in the Lord? And uh, today I want to pick up a subject that I think um, is a little bit of a misnomer. And a misnomer is, is when we, we sort of use a word out of context or we apply a meaning to it or a value to it that, that shouldn't really be there. Because if I ask you how was worship today, we would automatically think about what we just did with Sam leading us. And it is worship, but worship's much bigger than the three or four songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. And yet there's incredible power when corporately we do that together. But worship's much more than that. If I say, what are we doing for worship this week, Matt? He'll go, oh, we're singing five songs or whatever. It is a default that we so often have, and it's not wrong, but it sort of minimises what worship is because worship is not the songs we sing. It's the life that we bring. So when you get your... um, bank account out and you transfer money across to the church account, that's worship. When you go to work every morning and you decide what you're going to give to that employer, that's worship. Everything that we do, if we do it for God, it's worship. Because we're recognising that God is in the midst of all that we're doing and applies a very different value to us. So worship is an event And it can be an experience, but I think it has far wider scope than that. And to narrow it down to five or six songs we do on a Sunday morning, I think is is a misnomer of the term worship. Because worship is all that we do. It's the product of a lifestyle focused on an ongoing awareness of the constant presence of God. So when I'm mowing the lawn, I'm worshipping. When I'm driving the car... I'm worshipping. Everything that I do is worship of God because it encompasses all that I do because all that I do is done in recognition that I'm doing it for God's glory. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And so worship is a lifestyle. It's not just five or six songs on a Sunday morning. But I want to talk about the five or six songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, this morning. Um, The Scriptures say, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord our God is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness. You get very quickly from that the context of coming into God's presence with a sense of joy and gratitude and thanksgiving And that's what really worship is. It's living a lifestyle of gratitude and awareness of how good God has been to us in every circumstance. So today I I just want to narrow our focus in 
even though I'm doing what I'm telling you not to do, and think about why we do what we do on a Sunday morning and how we do it and what is the purpose of it. Because I can guarantee you that if you've had a moment in worship where, and we, we just touched on it this morning, when we got the girls to sing and the men to sing, could you feel the Spirit of God begin to move? There was something happening in their atmosphere. And I think if we are really honest about worship through all our churches, in all the times that we gather, we are just scratching the surface of what God wants to do in and through worship, corporate worship, when we gather together. We don't do it very well. We don't do it very well because we don't often talk about teaching people to worship. We just give them a Bible, we get them saved, we sit them in a seat, and we assume that they will naturally know how to connect with God through songs. The problem is we sing a whole lot of different songs, some of them I don't like. And so if my senses are the gauge through which I'm going to decide whether I'm going to worship God or not, we're already in trouble, aren't we? Because the worship that Trent listens to is probably very different to the worship music that, say, Peter listens to or, you know, Laura listens to. So we've got all those preferences at play in the songs that we listen to in the morning. So it's not about the songs. It can't be about the songs because we'll never keep everybody happy. Worship has to be over and above the song, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. We worship, and worship is so powerful because it's the one thing that God can't do. You think about it. Why do we worship? The very platform of worship is recognising that there's something higher and greater and more majestic than you. That's what worship is. And so for God to worship God or for God to worship, would be a mis- it would make no sense. There's nothing higher than him. So God can't worship, but we do it because we, we are recognising straight away that to worship is to esteem something higher than yourself. That's why worship is so special, because we come into that, that place. If it's a lifestyle, it's far better than a moment on a Sunday morning. But even in a Sunday morning where, the, where we gather our thoughts and we gather our hearts together, we're really our starting point is recognising how awesome God is and how high he is, the most high God. And, and we reverence him. I think, sadly, a lot of worships become about talent. Who are the talented musicians? Let's pick them out and let them be the worship leaders. That's not wrong. But worship's not about talent. Because if it was, God would still have to have Lucifer leading worship because he was the greatest worship leader there's ever been. It's not about talent. Although talent helps us because it creates noise that's a little bit more joyful to the ear. It does help. But it means if it's about talent, then croaky or voices like me can't enter into worship. We can't engage. We can't make a joyful noise because what comes out of our pharynx isn't very joyful. So it's not about talent. Although talent can come and enhance worship, it isn't purely about talent. True worship is an overflow of the heart because talent can very easily get corrupted. But a contrite, humble heart that's what God accepts. So worship is not something that we decide to do when Sam says, welcome to Catalyst, let's worship. 
You've made your mind up well before you got in the car park, well before you had your breakfast this morning, what sort of worship you're going to bring this morning. Worship starts way back out there because it's just an overflow of the heart of our life. It's not something we have to switch a button to connect into. It should just be the ebb and flow of our life. And out of that, we naturally move into worship. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. God, that you will not despise. And the Bible tells us over and over again, guard your heart, guard your heart, because it's the wellspring of life. And we could have the most gifted musicians up here, the most beautiful music, the most, you know, beautiful melodies and harmonies and great drummers like Ray and, you know, not Trent. (laughs) He's just a hacker like me. Not true, mate. But that wouldn't necessarily mean that we have great worship, would it? We could have the best musicians out. We could have the worst musicians up the front and we could still have fantastic worship. I remember when I did my first mission trip to Fiji, I don't know if Laura went on this team or not, we sent a team down to an Indian church. Did you go on that trip? Did you go to that church? No. I remember them coming back because they were going... They were going, we don't want to go to the Indian church, we'll stay with the Fijian church because they're really groovy musicians and it was great. And we sent them off to this Indian church. And when they came back, we said, what was it like? And they said, oh, the music was all out of tune and the way they sing was terrible. And I said, but? And they said, man, did we meet with the Lord. To our ears, I remember Sean telling me it was almost, I had to stick stuff in my ears because I couldn't stand the noise But he said the sense of God, its presence in amidst that was amazing. So it's not necessarily about the talents. It's about the people's hearts as they come, what we're bringing, what we're willing to offer, what we're willing to give. So we worship at the altar of what we love. And I hope what we love more than anything else is God. So when we get the opportunity to esteem our God, in any context, in any forum, what should bubble to the surface straight away is just this overflow of our love for the Lord. That we're captivated by him. Captivated by just how amazing he is. How good he's been to us. Sorry, Tim. Are you going to take that? Partly the reason why we picked that logo for Catalyst Church is really because it's going to be the heart of the people that determine what the church is like. And we need to be a church of worshippers. And I think if you just boil worship down to one word, it's just adoration. It's just revering who God is. And I want to talk about two forms of worship this morning because I think we need both. I think we have a lot of feminine worship. And I don't think it's wrong. I think it's really beautiful. But I think feminine worship goes with masculine worship. And when I say masculine worship, I mean theological worship where we proclaim the characteristics and the greatness of our God. How great is our God? The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty. Those sorts of songs are really declaring who God is. They've got nothing to do with us at all. They're just, just, just theolo- the- theology being proclaimed. How great is our God, you know? Um, and that, that whole song is just about the Godhead three in one, the lion and the lamb. They're just 
endless truths that we keep talking about God. But then there's another dimension of worship that, that flows out of that and moves into what I call more feminine worship, or I like to call it soaking. And to me, it starts off by me giving to God, me presenting myself before that king that I'm declaring about. And I'm really giving to him my praise, my honour, my worship. But then it transitions to a two-way relationship where God begins to give back to me out of that proclamation and out of that praise. And I begin to receive back from God and then I begin to soak in what God is throwing back at me. So it's not necessarily about the song that's being sung. It's about what the Holy Spirit's doing in and around that song. And what he does in and around that song for Ray could be totally different to what he does in and around that song for for somebody else. But the Spirit of God is always going to use our, our, our truths and what we proclaim, but then he's also going to come and say, well, then how do I give back to you the ones that I love? How do I remind you? in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart, of my love for you and my affection for you. So worship becomes suddenly two-way. But we have to come into his presence with thanksgiving in our heart. And we acknowledge how good God is. And so it begins to radiate out of our inner being this, this wonder and awe that we have about God. I want to use words like infatuation or exaltation, or adulation. They all really are saying the same things, that you and I, in our own heart of hearts, need to have that overwhelming sense of just how good God is. And I don't think we always have that. It gets robbed from us in the busyness of life, or the monotony of coming to church every week, or whatever. It just dulls off. And I think what we need to do is go back to the cross. Go back to those theological truths. Go back to the wonder and the splendour of what Jesus did and the price that he paid and what it cost him and what the benefits are out for us are for us. And as the moment we go back to the foot of the cross and remember mercy and grace, we remember the humility of Jesus, we remember God taking on human flesh, we remember the Spirit of God being poured out. Suddenly, I don't think you need to go anywhere looking for any more adulation than just the cross itself. It brings us back, it centres us, it grounds us again. And out of that gratitude, we worship. As often as you meet, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because it's the starting point of gratitude, to remember what Jesus did for us. So whenever you don't feel awestruck by Jesus, whenever you, you feel like your heart is getting hard and you don't have that real, I don't want to use the word soppy, but but you know when you've got a broken, contrite heart. You know when your heart is supple before God. Grown men cry. They're moved by the Spirit of God. They're not worried about what other people think about them. They're after an audience of one God whom they honour and revere and want to bless, and they want to bless the Father's heart. They want them to know their God to know how much they love them. And I know for guys, that's a difficult thing to do. Sometimes it's hard for us to express our feelings, but I think God wants us to. I really do. I really think he wants us to do that. And I know that it's easier for women to do that. We've got to go back to the cross and we've got to be in that place of adoration and thanksgiving. And to me, it's all about posture. Tell me what my posture is. 
surrender, I'm open, I'm receiving. Tell me what my posture is. And our, and our hearts can have a posture. We can lean into God. We can be waiting on God. We can be open to his spirit, open to his voice. And that's a discipline we need to learn to get ourselves into when we come into a corporate meeting like this. We need to, when we get to the front door, kick the mud off our shoes and come into the house of God with adoration and reverence, ready to meet with the King of Kings. Now, if you've been doing that all week, then coming into this context is not a difficult transition. If you've been distanced from God and then you want to step in and have these really ah moments with God, you've got to go on a bit of a journey to get there. And so what I want to encourage you to do this morning is place a higher value on corporate worship. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But, but when we come together, if five of us walk in here this morning really hungry for God and the rest of the people are, uh, look, if it happens, it happens, or if, you know, if Sam's able to motivate me or if Mark cheers me on enough, I might get there, we're not going to get very far. If 75 of the 80 people come in here hungry, instead of finishing where we should start, we'll start and move from there and the anticipation, the expectancy, you know, that sense of, God, I just want to give to you this morning. I guarantee you, you'll get from God. You'll hear his voice. You'll hear his whisper in your ears. You'll hear him touch you. You'll feel him touch you. I honestly, sincerely believe that worship is supposed to be experiential. I know in Baptist circus, we're not allowed to talk about that, having experiences and emotions. But what is the point of worship? What is the point of love if there's no sensory awareness of God being here? They're those moments. I, I like to sometimes want to scream out in the middle of a service and say, just stop because I'm feeling something really special. Don't ruin it for me, please, because those moments are so rare. But when you get there, it's not necessarily about the song that's being sung. Sometimes when Kate's speaking the word of the Lord or when Michaela's singing and she has an anointing over her voice, when she sings, the Spirit of God comes right in behind her voice and when I'm fatigued and I'm tired and she begins to sing, I just stand there and I can physically feel God rejuvenating me in that moment. Why? Because I've come before my king and I've said, God, I'm at the end of my tether. You're my strength. You're my shield. You're the only one that can pick me up from here and lead me on. Here I am. I've got nothing left to bring. And when you come with that humility, God will meet you and he'll minister to you and you'll walk out a different person. I believe that's worship is supposed to be this melting pot of God moving and ministering. It's like a ribbon that just waves through us and around us and amongst us. I think if we're really honest, the culture or, or the climate in which we've been raised conditions us to be worshippers. So if you've been raised in an independent Baptist church like I was, worship was very rigid. 
It was really just about the song. There was no space created around those songs for anything else to happen. There was no hands raised. If you raised your hands, you were sort of, one of the elders would come over and say, what's happening here? Hands down, please. We don't do that here. You know, and there was a restrictive environment. What's happening in a lot of our churches now is that they're actually creating space for God. But the space that we create is not for the worship team to lead, it's for the body to minister. That's the mistake that's been made. We are creating spaces in our songs, but we're still looking at the people at the front to be the ones that provide. And they lead in the sense of starting, but really the body needs to function. When I talk about posture, and I shouldn't really have the English cricket team up here at the moment, it's not very palatable. Have you ever seen guys fielding in the slips like this? I'm ready to catch the ball. They don't, do they? They're postured, they're ready, they're waiting. And wherever you play on that cricket field, you have a different posture. If you're down on the boundary line waiting for the guy to hook the ball, you're not standing like this, you're ready to move. And that's what worship is. We've got to be postured, ready to meet with God. Whatever our lives have looked like that week, week we need to posture ourselves to receive. Now, the Bible says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted to God, free from anger and controversy. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. This is not a lecture in what you should do in worship or that the right style of worship is everyone like this or on their knees, or prostrating themselves, or whatever. I think what the Bible does beautifully is just says, out of the overflow of your heart, respond to God however you want. And I think if we do that, if our hearts are on fire for the Lord, our bodies will follow the process, and, and we'll begin to do things with our body as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So it's not a lecture about raising hands. You need to do what God calls you to do so that there's freedom and that there's liberty. So if you want to dance, dance. If you want to lie, prostrate, do that. It's fine, whatever God calls us to do. I remember when um, I was at... Maruchidor Baptist Church and I was on this journey with God of knowing that there was more for me but not knowing how to get into that more and the Lord really encouraged me one day to lift my hands in worship I'd never done it before and so I had all these doubts and fears begin to come up behind me it was like you know Mark if you raise your hands those people down the back they'll know that this is the first time you've done it and somebody they'll know it's the first time and what a hypocrite you are. You've never done before. Why start now? I can tell you the moment I raised my hands for the first time was the greatest release of freedom in my life that I've ever had. I can't explain it to you. I don't know what difference it makes being like this or being like this, but I know God broke something off me so profound that day. And so I can only talk out of my experiences. So you'll notice when I come in here every week, I'm always like this. And I don't necessarily feel the same thing every week, but I want that to be my starting point of surrender to God. I don't always feel like being in that place, but I've disciplined myself to say, God, I want to start here. Totally open to you. 
for you to have your way in my life every day. I don't want to wait for that song that I love so much to get me there. I want to be there before that. I want to be ready and postured for you. So there's a whole heap of factors that are at play in worship. Our personalities, some of us are outgoing, some of us reserved. You all know Tabitha, she's not here so I can talk about her, how vibrant she is. She loves worship. If she had her way, we'd be all jumping up and down through worship all day. That's fine. Don't ever look at her and doubt what she does. That's a cruel thing to do to someone who God's wired up that way. Same in reverse. If someone's a very, you know, introverted person and you don't see them being all exuberant doesn't mean they're not meeting with God don't ever do that to people you just don't know because worship comes out of the heart I mean we could have everybody here this morning arms raised and heart abandoned in aura you know and we might all look fantastic but we might not even be meeting with God it's not about it's the posture of the heart that flows out through the posture of the body We've got all different temperaments here. Some of us like heavy metal. Some of us like, you know, opera music. Some of us like all different music. So if it was about getting everybody on the same page, we never would. There's all sorts of musical preferences. Family and life circumstances. We come in here every week with a whole lot of different things that play in our lives, in our world, and we're all trying to get to a place where we can enter in and meet with the Lord personal there's song choice sometimes the song leader's responsibility is huge because if they don't pick the right songs or the songs are not congregational or there's not the right ebb and flow around those songs it'll just die but I think the body the, the Lord says present your bodies as a living sacrifice whatever that means for you when you come to church on a Sunday come as a living sacrifice, ready to lay your life on the altar of God. Drag yourself up on the altar if you have to, because some Sundays will be like that, but God is still worthy of praise. He's still the king on the throne. He still deserves my very best. Deal with bad attitudes or sin or indifference. Don't wait till that moment here where it's, it's almost too late. Come ready. Come ready. Push through the limitations of your body and encounter God. Posture yourself. I want to talk about moving outside the song selection because I think really in an ideal worship format, the guys up here as they begin to minister and begin to play and begin to lead should be the trigger point for the Holy Spirit to be start moving, doing a whole lot of things in amongst the body. And if we really together tune into what God wants to do, our church service will be pretty messy because God will take us everywhere. And we don't quite know what that direction might be at the start of the service. It could be healing. It could be ministry to men. It could be ministry to women the next week. It could be ministry to kids. Who knows? We don't know. There's no prescribed formula. We've just got to come ready to flow with the Spirit of God wherever he leads us. And that sensitivity has got to come through the worship leaders, but it can also come through the body. I don't want you to look at your worship leader like he's a tow truck driver, like it's his responsibility to hook everybody up and say, come with me, we're going into worship. 
That's a cruel thing to do to that person. It's almost an impossible task. We need to come in together and say we're going to meet with our God. What shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. That to me is true worship when there's a whole lot of variety of things happening and a whole lot of people included and permitted to be included and knowing that God wants them to be at work. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. The best way I try and remember worship is that one of those revolving doors. I'm sure you've all been through one of them. A little bit scary getting into the first bit. You don't know if you're going to get crushed. But worship is giving and receiving. You come to give. But as you get into worship, giving, you start receiving. And then you start giving and you start receiving and it becomes this beautiful encounter with the Spirit of God moving through your life. We had Colin Studley come a couple of, well, it was a year ago, and he talked to us, uh, the worship team, about how a lot of people drop into worship, that that they've developed disciplines and because they like music and because we use a lot of music, that it's easy for them just to drop in to worship. But a lot of people can't do that. They actually have to step into worship. It's, it's more of a process to get to this point. It's harder for them because of their temperament or, or whatever. And, and if that's you, you need to learn how to step yourself in. It might mean that you need to come at 9.30 and come and pray and come and just let all the busyness of the week still and just amongst the prayer, you, you begin to turn your eyes to the Lord. You know, if you've got kids hanging off you and you've all been rushing to get in the shower and you come in here and it's all noisy and busy and suddenly it's like, oh, oh what are we doing? Sometimes that's hard for people to enter and by the time the fifth or sixth songs happen, you're just starting to get there. We really want to start up here. That audience of one. And every day, every Sunday is game day. Bring, bring our best. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That's really a heart disposition. You're not going to make a joyful noise to the Lord if your heart's heavy or broken or burdened. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord our God is a great God, a king above all gods. That's just the adoration. And then we get into this wonder and awe of who God is, that he holds the whole world in his hands, that nothing's impossible for him. The sea is his, the mountains are his, the depths of the earth are his. So come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Lord, our maker. That's when we get so captivated by God that words aren't even necessary anymore. We can just stand and receive, for he is our God and we are his people. And God will speak. God is always speaking, always wanting to speak something into our lives. I really believe that worship is about God breaking us open. Remember the lady that came with the alabaster jar and she broke it and she poured it on Jesus' feet and she washed his feet with her hair? That's probably the most extravagant picture of worship there's ever been. And and it's a picture of us coming and breaking ourselves open on Jesus and thanking him for what he's done. 
It's a beautiful picture of what we should do because, Lord, we've got so much more for you. We want to give God more praise. We want our worship to go to higher levels of recognition of how great God is and his splendour and his majesty. But we want God to break us open so we can pour our whole lives out on him. So this morning what I want to do is really stretch you. I want to play you a song, and the song is called Adore. They're the words of the song. And I don't think there's much point in talking about worship if we're not going to put it into practice. And so this morning what I want to encourage you to do is find a posture that you're comfortable with. Maybe it's a posture that you haven't ever had before. And because we're setting this up like this, it probably won't work, but that's okay. No one ever taught me about worship. No one ever said, Mark, this is the way or one of the ways or part of the way that you can encounter God more than you have before. I wish someone had done that with me in my early days and not let me struggle so much. But I remember when we left Good Life Baptist Church, the first church that we pastored, and we had all the youth come together just to say goodbye to us. Not one of those kids said, thank you, Mark and Cheryl, for taking us to White Water World. Thank you for taking us up to the beach. Thank you for taking us roller skating. They said, thank you for teaching us how to worship, for forcing us into those places where it was uncomfortable many times, where we just had to wait upon God, where we sensed God was wanting to break through. We didn't know how, when or where, but we stayed there until God did, and then great things happened. I think sometimes we've got to help one another enter deeper into worship. Some people like Ray and Kate have a very natural gift of doing that and they can help us by teaching us and letting us glean into their world. We can help one another and we can recognise the gifts that people have in the body that make that an easier process. Some worship leaders, you just know you're riding on the back of them deeply into worship very quickly. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes giftedness does help us and we need to recognise that. I want to play this song and I want you to stand up and I want you to just do whatever's comfortable but I want you to focus in on God and I want to see what God says to you while you're listening to this song. Sound a bit stretching?